In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. With all the festivities of Christmas having seemed to pass about 24 hours ago, and the wrapping paper maybe cleaned up, and the toys and other gifts beginning to find their new home and places in our lives, we might be tempted to say, what a nice Christmas, but I'm wiped out. Well, my friends, I have good news, and, well, perhaps for some of you, bad news too, but the good news this morning is that today is only the second day of Christmas, and we have ten more to go until it will be time to start taking down the Christmas tree and putting all the ornaments and decorations away. The bad news, if it really is bad, is that we still have ten more days to celebrate. And we here at St. Christopher's will be having liturgies for many of those days. Not all, mind you, but many of them. Because you see, Christmas is not just one day, but it is an entire season. But part of what we have to do is to pace ourselves just a little bit. All too often, what seems to happen is we get too excited about all the preparations, all the planning, all the stuff we think we need to do to get ready for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. There is all of the shopping and the worry about buying gifts for everyone or whether or not the dollar value of one gift will insult someone because they know that you gave a gift that, at least monetarily speaking, is worth more to somebody else. And then there's the stress of finances and what a truly spectacular celebration might do to the bank account come tomorrow morning. And there is the cooking and all the food that must be just perfect. And we are obligated to follow Aunt Ethel's casserole recipe exactly to the ounce, even though we really don't like that casserole and we may have never even met Aunt Ethel. Sometimes in the church, we speak about having a peaceful and quiet advent in preparation for Christmas tide, and we say things like, Advent should be a time of prayer and reflection and preparation for receiving Christ into our lives. But reality tosses us to and fro each year, and each year seems more hectic than the last, a little more busy, and perhaps even a little more unmanageable. So this morning, amid all the leftovers in the icebox, all the tidying up that we need to do around our homes and all the family who still might be coming in. I know several who are traveling today. I want us to stop, just pause for a few moments and think about what we have seen and heard over the last two days. One of the things that we must do from time to time is to take the stories found in our Holy Scriptures and see both how similar and dissimilar they are to our own day. Now, many of us do not walk miles and miles to work, or we don't walk miles to the next town. 
nor do many of us live like many of the ancient people did, without air conditioning, television, modern medicine. But many of the same problems, even almost parallel issues, were confronting the people in Jesus' own times, just as they were confronting us. The government wants taxes paid. There's a wave of disillusionment with authorities. Sicknesses are feared. Employees are killed in workplace accidents. And there is, of course, the questions about life and death and why we live and why we die. And the people in first century Palestine asked some of the same questions that we ask, even today, on the day after Christmas. And it is into that world and into this world too that Christ comes. He comes amid all the questions, all the hardships, all the humdrum everydayness of life. And that's part of the mystery. Typically, we think that everything has to be just so, just perfect just right for the presence of God to fill a void. Now, in some ways, that's true. But in other ways, there can be nothing further from the truth. What the incarnation, this whole season of Christmas tide, reminds us is that God breaks into the messiness of this world. But he does so to make it right. And part of our job is to not only be willing vessels of that breaking in, but to be active participants in God's redeeming work. And this is part of what the Christmas stories and the readings that we have keep pointing us to. In order for Jesus to be born into this world, he needed the Blessed Virgin Mary to say, Yes to his will. In order for Jesus to be brought into a loving and protective family, he needed Joseph to not dismiss Mary. For Jesus to first be known, he needed the shepherds to go into Bethlehem and to tell the townspeople about what they had seen and heard. And on and on we could go throughout not just the Gospels, but through the rest of the New Testament and through the centuries until we come to you and me and say, God needed me to do this thing now. When I woke up this morning, one of the first news articles I saw was that the most reverend Desmond Tutu Arch, the former Archbishop of Cape Town, had died at the age of 90 today, the day after Christmas. Archbishop Tutu was not only a wonderful spiritual leader, a great theologian, and a dynamic preacher, but he is someone who also said yes in his life to God's call God tugging on him. 
I read a biography of him several years ago, and a few things stand out to me that I've remembered about what he had to say. First, he relied heavily on prayer. In the book, it is said that he hated the daily office and seminary, but he realized over time that it was the only thing that gave him strength to make it through the studies and the rigorous conditions of academic life. So he said the daily office daily. His secretaries would have to schedule not only his appointments, but also his travel times and airline flights and his speeches and so on around the times that he said his prayer. It was immovable. It is even said that if he took long flights, like international flights, that he would take bread and when the beverage cart would come, he would buy a little bit of wine on the flights so that he could celebrate communion with his families and with his staff who were traveling with him every day, even on aeroplanes. And I think that's just a wonderful image of, of the archbishop on a plane, and I can just see him inviting the people around him to participate. What a wonderful image. Second, through the conviction of the gospel of Christ, he led not just Anglicans in South Africa to a rather peaceful anti-apartheid movement, but he led Anglicans and Episcopalians around the world, and I dare say many other Christians as well, into looking at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, using the phrase that we are all God-bearers because we are made in the image of God. In essence, like the Blessed Virgin Mary was the Theotokos, the God-bearer, we are all Theotokos. We are all God-bearers, according to the arch. And third, even in bitter struggles and disappointments and setbacks, the arch, that's what his friends would call him, the arch. The arch never lost his capacity for laughter, even self-deprecating laughter about himself, and especially what a large nose he had. But in doing so, he showed the enormity of God's grace and love. And that genuine laughter is what helped him be authentic during the difficult and painful process of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that he helped establish because Christians are people of truth who proclaim it into the world. But we are also people of reconciliation and forgiveness too. And that means learning to love your neighbor as yourself. Blessed Desmond said yes to God, doing the things that God called him to do in the here and now. Blessed Desmond said yes to God, just like all of us. And I'm going to use a word that I probably ought not to. 
He said yes to God just like all of us must do. We must say yes to God. While his work is great, great enough that he was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize, that does not overshadow the work that we as this parish or we as individuals do here. And of all people, yeah, the arch was standing here right now. He would tell you that too. Now, as I alluded to earlier in the sermon, we are all probably exhausted from the Christmas festivities that we have been taking part in the last two or three days, or perhaps even the last week. Family has traveled in, or we have gone to them. Food and presents have been brought, wrapped and opened. Decorations have gone up. Now, don't take them down just yet. Because now is the time to celebrate. Now is the time to be wearing all of our ugly Christmas sweaters and enjoying our eggnog or champagne because Christ has finally come. Think about it this way. When do couples truly celebrate the birth of a child? Yes, there's showers beforehand and there's presents given and opened. There might even be a gender reveal party and some of those can get quite interesting. But the time when the parents truly begin to live into the reality of a birth, into the reality that new life abounds, is when they hold their baby, when they kiss the child and look lovingly into his eyes. And that is what we as Christians should be doing now. We should be celebrating now and every day this miraculous birth. The prophet Isaiah, writing as one who anticipates this coming Messiah, paints an image of what he thinks the day will be like when it comes. The earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown into it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations, and you shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. What we have been anticipating all throughout the season of Advent, even with all the busyness that life really does bring in this time of year, has finally come. And how we celebrate relies firstly on how we prepared for the event. Did we find time to spend a few minutes in prayer every day? Did we find time to read small portions of the scriptures at least a few times a week? You see, during Advent, many of our prayers and our colleagues asked for Christ to come, for Christ to make his appearance for Christ to stir up his power and come among us. 
But as we pray those prayers, we also have to prepare our hearts to greet him. It would be like inviting dinner guests to your house and telling them to really come on a certain date but not cleaning the dining room and not washing the dishes and not polishing the silver. This Christmas tide, welcome Christ into your home, the home found in your heart, but also do so but also do the work to prepare yourselves to do so. Don't think that because Christmas Day has passed that we are now only on our way to the next holiday. But remember that this season is about arrival, about the celebration of a king who has come to be among us. May the Lord whom we have been expecting during our Advent season, find your hearts a place of welcome for him. May our blessed Lord, who came as a babe in a manger, now find you ready to celebrate his incarnation. And may Christ, who is the morning star and the light of all people, Shine in your hearts and warm your life with his presence this Christmas tide. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.